0: What's up, sugar bottoms? Welcome to Electric Liberty Land 220. And I want to tell you about Bravo and Beer. If you haven't checked it out yet, what is wrong with you? It is the contra podcast to all of the reality TV that you see out there that you're forced to watch with a spouse or wife or I don't know, uh, whoever is keeping you in the gimp box. But trust me when I tell you, this is one of the funniest shows you're ever going to hear. I do it with Rico and Odie, who you know from this very podcast network. And it unpc, un-PC. It is unfiltered. It's very mean. We're not very nice people. And I tell you, you do not have to watch these shows to laugh along with us. Check that out. Bravo and Beer Anywhere Podcasts are heard. And also, guys, if you haven't joined the Lions of Liberty Pride yet, go to Patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. Get in on all the fun, including the new podcast. Howie Stories, Drunken Howie Stories, which we're trying to set up with Howie eh, sometime in the next couple of weeks, where Howie reads a passage of libertarian literature and then we get him super drunk and listen to him ramble on. Anyway, check it out as little as $5 a month, guys. That's patreon.com forward slash lions of liberty.
1: Welcome to Electric Liberty Land. Here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams.
0: Hey, 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 everybody. Show notes for today's episode, including a link to my guest book, are at lionsofliberty.com forward slash episodes slash ELL two, two, zero. And also apologies. There's going to be a little bit of glitching with Grant's audio here. Uh, The internet was a little bit fidgety uh, while we were trying to record, but I think for the most part you get through it pretty easily. It's only kind of here and there. So shouldn't be too hard listening on your little ear holes. All right, everybody. So I am here today with author and cultural anthropologist, Grant McCracken. He is the author of a book called the new honor code, a Simple Plan for Raising Our Standards and Restoring Our Good Names, which uh, I've been so kindly gifted by his uh, his printing company and his publicist. And yes, I did manage to read. So Grant McCracken, welcome to Electric Liberty Land. Hey, Brian, nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, by by all means. Well, you know, it's one of those things where... Um, you know, I don't know what the wide-ranging outreach that your uh, your publicist had done, but you know, clearly, I think you did an interview with uh, Reason and Nick Gillespie. Yeah. Uh, pretty sure, yeah. So, you know, it, it's interesting that honor is something that uh, I don't know whether it's our. Uh, I don't know, self-congratulatory nature of of libertarians, as this is a, a podcast that falls in libertarian vein, as would reason. But honor is definitely something that seems to be lacking within society and has seems to have been uh, accelerated the, uh, I don't know, the throwing into the waste bin uh, for the concept of honor and how we interact with each other, especially with the advent of social media and, uh, and how we all interact nowadays. So- right. Before we you know get into to some of that aspect of it, uh, and uh, as I dive into some of the things I noticed in the book, can you tell me a little bit more about just you, you know in brief, a little bit about yourself and how you came to want to take this project on?
1: Yeah, I'm a cultural anthropologist, as you say, and so and and American culture is my beat. And one of the things you can't fail to notice about American culture in the last five or ten years is that it's filled with bad behavior. And as somebody with libertarian sympathies, I mean, generally speaking, notion has been, you know, leave people alone; they'll they'll take care of themselves; um, they'll find a way to make it work. But in this case, it looked like there are a lot of people out there who are behaving as predators, mm-hmm. uh, shamelessly kind of avoiding the people around them. Uh, and the book has lots of examples: the the Harvard soccer team and Wells Fargo credit and Charlie Rose on CBS. I mean, there's lots of there's lots of examples out there. What was more striking about the fact that people were behaving badly was that they were behaving badly without apology or much sense that there might be something odd about what they were doing. They just seemed to say, well, I'm entitled, and if really challenged, they would say, well, everyone's doing it.
0: Right. And I thought,
1: well, geez, you know, spare us. You know, spare us. You know, if you're an intern who's just gone to work at CBS and you're thinking, "My God, I've made it!" Right? This mm-hmm. is this is my shot at glory. And the next thing that happens is you get one of these on-air hosts uh, preying upon you. It's a pretty yeah, dreadful yeah. thing. Anyhow, so I thought, look, maybe some part of the libertarian notion needs rethinking. Maybe we can't just leave everybody to their own devices morally. Maybe it would make. S- so my notion then was, I think, quite libertarian. My notion was. What's the least we can do to get the greatest effect? So what I was aiming for was a a light moral code that didn't ask you to change anything else about your life. You didn't have to swap in rooms or great philosophical statements. You needed to embrace one quite quite small uh, uh, moral compass and you were good to go, um, and it would mean that you would now be inclined to behave well where before you might have uh, said, "Oh, everyone's doing it and behave badly." So that, that's yeah. the genesis.
0: Well, I definitely do think you hit a nail on the head with everybody's doing it, and and that's something where I'll save it for a little bit later in the conversation. But uh, you know, again, t- tying into social media and. Uh, you know, there's a lot of context, a lot of different concepts in the book, which I, I found very intriguing. You know, getting into the fall of shame as a tool for correcting one's honor, I thought was very interesting, which I'll save for a little bit later. But kind of just walking through it, um, when we talk about the concept of honor, I wonder if, you know, because you talk a little bit about how people have uh, have abdicated their honor, right? And how we don't really emphasize this uh, as a society, as a culture, it's not really passed down as much as it once was. But I kind of, as I was reading the book, was thinking whether or not we actually have a little bit too much misplaced honor, Hmm. Um, you know, in which we talk about how people have witnessed other people partaking in these, you know, indefensible behaviors, whether or not they are in, in the workplace, or as I'm seeing more on social media now, you know, cancel culture, where people are attacking, 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 and the removal of context. You know, is there something where people go out of their way to defend someone else's honor. And this uh, the reason I thought of this early in the book was with the example of the intern or somebody being accosted by uh, the Charlie Roses of the world and how that is a concrete example. However, we have these much broader examples of people saying, well, the women's movement and, and, and women as a whole need to be defended from X, Y, and Z. Or uh, black culture can never be assailed for anything uh, because of X, Y, and Z. And should you dare to bring up anything having to do with any of these populations, we then attack you. So, what do you think mm-hmm. about the misplacement of honor um and the allocation of outrage? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's well. Uh, outrage is just the word for it. and it and it seems to me that that maybe uh, honor doesn't apply ex- well to a cancel culture because that seems to me not to be a criticism that you have failed your responsibilities to honor, that you've dishonored yourself or your victim. It seems to be more that you have failed an ideological purity test, Mm -hmm. right? You said something or you did something and there's a new ideological code in place. It's not an honor code. It's an ideological code. So I think that's what we're looking at here is a, a, a quite vicious system for social sorting that has been weaponized to serve a certain political position. So and it'd be great if honor were part of that conversation, but I think yeah. it may be yet another way of excluding it from, from the conversation.
0: Well, it's interesting, you know, the weaponization of honor. So you have a large portion of the book that talks about the Elizabethans and how honor was bestowed by the queen on down and how she had used that. I mean, it was almost a weaponization of honor. You use uh, Queen Elizabeth marching out into the field and basically proclaiming that she was out there, she would stand on the turf and die with the, her troops. Uh, you know an interesting weaponization of honor if you will you know it, it, are you going to let me this feeble woman die on this field and and you're going to sit and watch
1: <laughs> yeah but um, it was certainly a moment of high drama and great courage and tremendous theater right it it mobilized all of those elizabethans drew them to her her cause. So it was a mm-hmm. it was a great piece of a great piece of theater.
0: Absolutely, without a doubt. Um, and to tie that into something a little bit later in the book, you know, so you have Queen Elizabeth going out there and putting her honor on the line and inspiring people. And I wonder, because you talk about one of the concepts, which we'll we'll get to. Uh, I don't want to give away all of the the new code of honor, so that people will buy well, the book. Do. Please,
1: please
0: do. Get, 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 get <laughs> it away. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I will. Well, we'll we could run through them a, a bit later on. But one of the things I, I made note of was the uh, the honor code number five, which is the focus on internal honor, because you go through several different aspects of honor and how we can resuscitate honor off of the uh, you know the life support that it's currently on. But I found really intriguing the concept of revitalizing the internal honor, which you had defined as your own moral compass, um, which is completely, de- completely removed from exterior or external forces. And I thought of this and tied this into the Elizabethan manner in that, you know, when you're doing something to stand up and inspire others that often can bring the slings and arrows of detractors or of anybody who's not ideologically in agreement with you. So I wanted yeah. to hear your, your thoughts about that and, and how difficult, uh, you know, keeping that internal honor code succinct yeah. can be, especially in the modern era.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's key as a source of self respect. So you commit yourself to certain things, and you did. I'm a libertarian. There, you decide what things you commit yourself to. You hold yourself to those things, even when they're difficult or or painful, or even if embarrassing, or they subject you to the possibility of criticism or exclusion. You say, no, I believe in this. I stand for this, and and what you get in return, is the self-respect, right? You get that sense that you're a person uh, who, who stands for things, who is a stand-up person, who has made a commitment and honored that commitment. I think the other thing you get, and this is so critical these days, you get the ability to withstand those arrows of fortune that you were talking about a moment ago, if and when people turn on you and, and vilify you and say, oh, you're you're a dreadful person for one reason or another, if you know you've done the honorable thing, then you're good. Then And more than it's not just that you're good, it's, you can stand up to that criticism. If you have truly cultivated your own uh, self-respect, you're now in possession of a precious cargo, right? That allows you to go up against all that criticism and say, it bounces off me. I'm, I'm the, feels to me very liberty. I'm the arbiter of what matters. I'm the arbiter of, of who I am and what I stand for. And as long as I satisfy my own personal standard of honor, then, then, then I'm armored against Mm -hmm. anyone's attempt to dishonor me.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, when you look at you know, and I apologize. Cancel culture is going to play a, a role in this uh, on almost every level, just because it's so prolific in society today. Sure. But yeah. we see, we do see people stand up and and maintain their honor and maintain their point of view despite people attacking them. And I've seen several several people in mainstream entertainment. I just had um, uh, Dave Rubin on the show, who had you know has become a, a very large you know uh, broadcaster in his own right, but. Yeah. You know, it's people – I've heard many, many people say this distinct thing where they say, you know, what actually empowered me to go on to become bigger than myself and to 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 build this audience is saying, look, you know, I know there's going to be repercussions for my leaving this and separating from this orthodoxy of thinking, but that has given me, to your point – the armoring I need to say, you know what, I'm going to do something new rather than depending on someone else to employ me. You know, it's like in right. a way, it ties into an entrepreneurial spirit uh, yes. and an innovation spirit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Uh, and that takes real uh, gumption, as they used to call it. Right. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, you fashion a contract with yourself and you satisfy that contract and you really are. Uh, you're mobilized, and you're not just armored. You're mobilized to take risks. Risks that might once have intimidated you are now, you know, they're survivable, right? Even if they turn out badly, you know, you're going to manage because you know you are again the author of 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 uh, you are your own author, as it were.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about too, um, going off in a little bit of a different topic, is. I thought it was kind of entertaining, uh, and I have not watched the Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, or former Prince Harry. I, I don't know. Oh. if I think you pronounced it, right? I did not watch their appearance on Oprah Winfrey, uh, the interview they did with her, oh. where Meghan Markle had really come out and, uh, from what I've read and what I've heard, just really run the royal family through the mud and, and you know, had accused them of um, all sorts of of ill behaviors or at least accused people that were in the circle of royalty of all right. these ill behaviors, yeah. And you have a chapter in the book where you talk about Meghan Markle marrying into the family and how she had, you know, she had to have some inclination of what she was getting into uh, and and how you thought that a little bit it was uh, of her ignoring this code of honor that had been passed down to her by this approach she'd taken. And with her actions, along with Harry, eschewing yeah. the trappings of royalty. So can you tell me yeah. a little bit about that? And then what yeah. your reaction did? Did you watch the Oprah? Uh, I did. I, okay, I, great. So I, I'm curious well, to hear your I, thoughts on
1: it. I did it for anthropology, Brian. Uh, well,
0: obviously. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so anyhow, um, yeah. No, I wrote about it in the book because it's such a nice kind of study in the two cultures that oppose one another when it comes to honor, right? That royal society um, uh, uh, is governed by a logic and a, and a system and a philosophy that's been in place for hundreds of years. And in that system, there's really no individualism. You, as a member of the royal family, you have a responsibility to serve the greater cause—that is, the uh, monarchy and the kingdom—and—and and it's too, its not about you. It is entirely about the the kingdom and 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 uh, the monarchy, yeah,
0: the line, yeah, Whereas, the royal line,
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, and you're the beneficiary of all of the extraordinary wealth and profile that a member of the royal family has. It's—it's it's not a simple bargain because now effaced. It really doesn't matter who you are. It's not about you. it's about your responsibility. Whereas Meghan Markle clearly, first of all, she's an American, an American who's come up in a feminist era, a feminist who was socialized by, you know, a culture, which is really individualistic, to the kinds of schools, places dedicated to, you know, cultivating the, the flower of individuality, um, and so she sees herself as 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 most Americans i think do our notion is hey we decide who we are um and uh, we don't no one's the boss of me right mm-hmm. that's the standing idea is that we make our own choices about who we are and how we want to live so you take this woman who is the product of an intensely individualistic culture and you and you insert her into a royal family that says no 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 you don't get it I really care about you as Meghan Markle, person the the accru- creature that you are, we just want you to sit there at the dais and eat yet another rubber chicken because <laughs> because you're you're here to celebrate badminton England, which is you know an august kind of institution. Not only the English still play badminton, um, but her job to be ceremonial. Effectively, it's it's as f- to, for her. I'm sure it felt as if her her uh, to so waxwork moment had come early, right? Mm. That's what they were asking her to do. They're going to wheel her in, wheel her out, show her off. But no, she didn't have a voice. And if she got into emotional, that's the thing you you missed in the interview, is that she says, uh, plaintively, but but persuasively, this, this effacement of who I am as a person, um, really cost me something in terms of my mental health, and 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 in America, that's okay. If you're having a mental health difficulty, it means that your um, your 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 adventure in in the world of individualism has you know you've you've got it up on two wheels there for a moment, that's and you sure. need a, a professional to to you know to help you get all four wheels back on the ground. <laughs> yeah. In England, it's like. God, this is embarrassing. And you failed us and you failed yourself. So, um, so she complains about that. But it seems to me that this is a classic standoff between cultures. And, and I understand that some think she was engaged in, in special pleading, and she was insisting on a fragility that, you know, is a little too self indulgent. I I didn't actually buy that. I thought she was forthright. I thought she was intelligent. I thought she was, you know, there was I I didn't, a lot of people found her performance. Worthy at all. But I did, underneath it all, quite simple explanation for why this was a tragic combination. Putting this Californian in that family um, in 2021 was, or, or 2020 was bound to turn out badly.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's, for me, it was something where, Yeah. You know, Eddie, I didn't see the second interview, but I, I took it from your description of the book and from what I've seen in, in mainstream media coverage of it. Um, de- it distinctly did strike me as somebody that for me, I look at it and to your point about the two different cultures, it did seem to me that if you, like, anytime you enter another culture, like, if I was to move to another country, I would definitely look to see what the cultural norms were as far as the ways in which you act. Moving into, you know, the British royal family, one of the most high profile societies, uh, you know, you're, you're whether she did it for love, let's, let's say that she did it purely for love and not for any sort of self ag- mm. ag- aggrandizement and not for the publicity manner of just being extra super famous, you still, on some level, I would think, would have to know that you need to respond and act within this certain framework that has been put in place. And by disturbing that framework, you are basically threatening to tear down everything that's stood for so long. And for so many people in that culture, You know, the Brits still love their royals to a huge extent. And you're Canadian. I don't know if your feelings about the Queen Mother uh, are are favorable (laughs) or not. But clearly these people have a quite a bit of uh, institutional and emotional cultural investment in this for yeah. you to come in and suddenly upset the entire Apple cart right, seems a little right. bit off-putting.
1: I think she went in with the best of intentions and understanding that this was new demands that would be made of her. She would have to make sacrifices. But there's a crucial moment in the in the interview that really gives you a glimpse into what was happening to her. The first time she met Elizabeth II, um, she was told, as, as, the, as, as uh, Harry's grandmother was approaching, she was called, told, listen, the queen is, is coming into the building, and are you ready to curtsy? Mm. And she was stunned, because her notion was, well, curtsy, sure fine, that's fine for the outside, but right, sure, yeah. when we're together in a private moment, we don't need to curtsy, right? And they looked at her like, No. This no, you curtsy <laughs> So that's, I I know, understand that's a, that <laughs> exactly. I think that's a forgivable error. I would have thought, hey, once we put our feet up and let our hair down, we, right. you know, we can dispense with the curtseying. But apparently
0: not. Wow, weird. Well, you know, well, on the topic of celebrity, that also plays a large role in the book, um talking about and I, and I particularly as a, as somebody who moved to Los Angeles, which is where I'm based to become right. a writer. Uh, I still write, you know, I'm still trying to, to, uh, enter that aspect of the business and escape my, uh, my nine to five. But, you know, when you talk about how people have gravitated towards celebrity actors, uh, in particular, I use my highlighter on the line that said that people citing writers specifically as, uh, models of inspiration, uh, had dropped to something like, you know, 4% from where it was, you know, decades ago. And, and of course I, every time I watch the Oscars, it infuriates me that writing isn't the most important <laughs> thing of all, you know, cause none yeah. of this would exist without people writing. <laughs> so, here, here. you know, <laughs> yes, I, I, why, I mean, that definitely was, I think a large portion of the book. So why did you key on that so much when you were working on it?
1: Right. I think it's fair to say that our culture is a celebrity culture, and you compare it to what we were in, in 1850. We were a culture that had celebrities. What, what we had in 1850 were entertainers, yet celebrities, and they did not have the gravitational field, they did not have the powers of influence that they have now, they didn't have the, the uh, social media uh, platforms that they have now. They were present visible, but not especially important. In fact, for those who are interested, there's a wonderful study out of MIT where they looked at the newspaper content, and they noticed that in 1850, politicians and scientists and, and people like you know Freud and Einstein were getting a lion's share of the print, and that entertainers hardly matter. But if you run the database forward, you notice as you get closer to 1950, mm-hmm. you see all of those People f- become less important, less visible, less powerful, and celebrities just become ever more present and powerful. So, so you know, that had to be uh, – And and to take this a step further, it's clear that some celebrities have built their celebrity out of dishonorable behavior.
0: I was just going right to talk about – I was just going to bring that to your attention. Okay, please c- yeah. continue, yeah.
1: So in some sense – celebrity is a deal you can do with the devil mm. and if you're prepared to give up your honor the devil of celebrity will give you fame it may only last 15 minutes or you know 15 months but for that period you're it and you're charismatic and you're and and you're fantastically attractive interesting and will get desperately i just did a Working on a novel that's set in Hollywood. And it opens with a, a list of, of people who were once famous and then fell. <laughs> Grace, it's 300 people long.
0: Oh, I'm sure sure that's the tip of the iceberg, you know, if you (laughs) were to spend even more time on it. Well, I know you said you've worked with with Netflix uh, and and other institutions like that, which is uh, interesting. So, uh, but yeah, Yeah. I mean, talking about that specific angle, you know, it is a deal with the devil in many ways. Um, You know, at one point when I was at Penn State, I got in and actually was an actor for a couple of years before I went, what the hell am I doing with my life? Hold on, let me ask everybody out there real quick, what are you doing with your lives that you're not at zipixtoothpicks.com right now, putting in the new promo code, new promo code, guys, ROAR. R-O-A-R like a lion's roar. Roar to get 10% off your first order of these fantastic nicotine-infused toothpicks. They've been a long time sponsor of the show now. I love them to death. You better believe I'm gonna have my B12 caffeine toothpicks out with me on St. Patty's Day, is I'm gonna be drinking early, folks. And I plan on trying to mitigate my hangover. And those B12 toothpicks help me immensely. But not only that, if you're out, if if you're a smoker, if you're a vapor, or if you just formerly were and still like to get that hand to mouth feel, that little bit of buzz from that nicotine, check these toothpicks out. They're two milligrams or three milligrams. They have all these different flavors, spearmint and mocha and clove and whiskey. Fantastic flavors for you guys. And I tell you, they're just delicious and a party favor that everybody enjoys. Like every time I have these things out, people want to try them. They think they're fascinating. Can't get enough of them. So check those out. Use promo code ROAR, Zippix, Z-I-P-P-I-X, Toothpicks.com. And uh, don't worry, these are FDA registered. They are created in a lab. They're made in a vacuum. Safe, wonderful, delicious. Check them out. But, you know, you talk a little bit about Harvey Weinstein in the book. and uh, and when we talk about Weinstein and how there is this deal with the devil, I mean he was the the devil in many ways that these people, yeah. these young girls would say, well, you know, i I'm not all of them were willing to make the trade-off, but there must have been some that said, yeah. "I will take this, you know, this gargantuan uh, slob and allow wow. him to um, you know, to do with me what he will in exchange for that celebrity and for that shot at at fame. And I always thought about how for it to have gone on as long as it did, there must have been quite a few people that were completely complicit and happy to go along with that arrangement for quite some time before somebody finally stepped up and had, you know, to your point about internal honor, the internal honor to say, no more, I won't be quiet. I have to step up and I have to talk about this. Well, you know, so many people... They made their money. They, you know, uh, yeah. they had their fame, and they didn't bring it to anybody's yeah. attention.
1: Yeah. So we had dishonor on all three sides, right? We had the the um, the the producer who is preying upon people. He is dishonoring himself. The women who are brought to him, the succession of starlets, put before this predator must dishonor themselves to even to, to, to become a victim. And then you're right. There are all those people who knew exactly what was going on and said nothing, which is especially dishonorable because. Yeah. I
0: mean, it's, yeah. It's almost as if Hollywood is built on dishonor. <laughs> no, yeah. It's, no, exactly. It's, we live in a cathedral of dishonor. At least I do. You're, you're, you know, you're on the East coast.
1: <laughs> no, but it's true that the dream factory has some very ugly realities beneath it.
0: Oh, um, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, well, so let's let's uh talk a little bit more about, you know, uh, one thing we talked a little bit about um the concept of displaced honor and uh and I want to tie this into to social media honor and almost, you know, that again, that concept of taking on someone else's woes as your own in order to garner honor, which always reminded me a little bit of, you know, there's a, a Monty Python in the Holy Grail, if you're familiar with that film. Um, where Lancelot charges into the castle and he's stabbing everybody, just, you know, stabbing people in the face and punching people and throwing them downstairs. And he kills just about everybody in the castle. And he gets to the damsel in distress, who turns out to be a man, uh, which to Lancelot is unfathomable. And, you know, not and and not at all what he expected. So he's gone right. through all this. He's murdered everybody in his path to save somebody that wasn't what he thought he was. And, uh, and frankly, probably wasn't even worth, you know, his going in in the first place. That reminds me a lot of what we see in social media and people trying to glean honor from the woes of others or from a misplaced understanding of what the problems are and what they need to defend. Um, right. Do you have any thoughts about that? and uh, you know is do you think that ignorance and a uh, an emphasis on immediate gratification of honor is something that is impacting the grander? revitalization of the concept. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, clearly we're in a moment where the middle of American culture, which was that most people to be, they were comfortable there, um, has been uh, 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 evacuated and been driven to the left and to the right. Um, And they now go at one another uh, ferocious I did a project for the Ford Foundation a couple of years ago and and it was just getting started then uh, and now of course it's 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 everyone both sides have flamethrowers and that's the only way they can communicate is trying to torch one another um and that again I think that's you know honor is. In a perfect world, it's a modulated and modulating thing, right? It helps us make more sensible decisions and sit there and think, you know, how how do I want to play this? What is the honorable course? And who benefits? And how do they benefit? And and what do I owe, you know, the community? And what do I owe myself? And lots of questions going on, as opposed to just this notion that I am indisputably on the side of, of the right. And everybody who disagrees with me is a monster, of of uh, you know is 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 a living kind of a testament to how stupid and dumb and corrupt and craven a person can be. That kind. That was the weird thing about Ford Foundation project. That was people loved feasting on their indignation. They just loved being being indignant. It's what they they you know that was the payoff for them was being able to scorn other people as being complete idiots. And God knows, I've indulged in that myself. Um, but in a in a more sensible America, I think uh, it it makes some you know if if everyone's taking a somewhat more measured position. Then we're in a position to say stuff like, Well, I don't like where you ended up with this argument, but I kind of get what you're saying. And I sort of you know, and I respect your right to say that, or I respect your right to be wrong. That's a middle ground, is is a precious thing. And and if you if you don't have it for long enough, I think we're in a kind of late stage now where we we see, you know, uh, the Dems in power. Wow, they are using it viciously. Yeah. Um and dangerously, and that can only provoke a counter reaction that is itself dangerous and vicious and 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 so it just gets steadily, steadily worse. So um, yeah, I would you know terrific if Honor could help a little there.
0: Yeah, I, I think you you nailed it there. You know, I, I worry the same thing politically, and and I, and by the way, I did want to bring up. I noticed there wasn't you tried to keep this apolitical, but I noticed <laughs> there wasn't a uh, an outright condemnation of the political class in the book, which I was waiting for. I thought there would be right. a condemnation of our politicians and yeah. how they seem to have zero honor. You know, much of I mean, they're basically <laughs> celebrities, right? They've they've made their own deals with the devil. Yeah. Um, but no, you know, to what we're what we're just talking about. You know, using this power, this as a cudgel, and just beating people yeah. over the head with it unscrupulously, because yeah. you know the honor would be, to your point, having the middle ground. You know, trying to yeah. say, okay, what can we do that's going to uh, maybe it's going to push something that we're trying to do a little bit forward, but not just completely ostracize half the population. Right. And as you mentioned, I agree there is going to be a major pushback. Whether that's an even more uh radicalized version of Donald Trump, whether that is some sort of uh of, I don't know, rioting, whatever is gonna come the other way is without a doubt going to be uh the pendulum swing. Yeah. No, it's really scary. Um the one thing I want to tie in too, talking about the abdication of middle ground and how nobody anymore can simply sit back and say, I understand where you're coming from, uh, but or and or let's talk about it, is it feels to me that the one of the biggest assaults on honor is the abdication of context, and mm-hmm. in our society today, we have not just social media, but also major mainstream journalists. Uh, there was just a big flap with uh, Taylor Lorenz, who was, uh, I believe, a New York Times journalist. She had mm-hmm. sat in on a, uh, you know, oh god, I'm blanking on the name of this uh, chat chat thing that everybody's talking about oh, now. Um, I- clubhouse, clubhouse, Clubhouse. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. It, by the way, just to point out, Grant is, uh, I think, 20 years older than me and, and more up to date on these social <laughs> platforms. <laughs> That's a cultural anthropologist for you. Um, but yeah, you're thank a very you.
1: useful looking 20, I have to say, Brian. Uh,
0: thank you. Thank you. <laughs> 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 and he looked terrible for 40. Uh, no, no, <laughs> uh, no he's, Grant's looking good. Um, yeah, so it was Clubhouse. Thank you. So Clubhouse has, uh, you know, she was sitting in on a, I believe it was talk with uh, several leaders in the tech space. And then she had written that one of them had used uh, a racial slur. And this was immediately debunked, immediately taken part. So that that never happened. And if it was used, it was used by another person that you didn't point out. And it was used in a completely different context from what you pointed out. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on on that? I mean, do you think that would go a long way? Simply demanding that people have enough honor to put things into the basic context would solve, I think, a lot of the issues.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Honor is such a precious thing. And it's so, you know, it's something that gets accomplished over many years. And 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 it's accomplished by people refusing temptations of the kind that Charlie Rose couldn't refuse, mm-hmm. Epstein couldn't refuse, right? So it's a practice, it's a devotion, it's an accomplishment. And when you take someone down in that flamethrower, high rhetoric, you're the spawn of the devil way, you're damaging something that's, inc- that's incredibly Precious is the only word I can think to describe it, right? It's, it's so precious to the individual and to the community that to, that, that, that to punish somebody in that way, to destroy their honors, to do, is to inflict a particular crime against the community. And yeah. we've seen on both sides, but I think maybe especially the Dems, um, a kind of, uh, um, you know, a, a use of defamation, that's routine and casual and oh, you yeah. think, you know, I don't know what the outcome of the Kavanaugh proceeding should have been, right? I, I, I don't, I don't claim to arbiter of fully know about what happened there, but to me, he was defamed in a horrifying way, right? Here's a yeah. guy who I guess I'm going to assume this lived his life in a more or less, and maybe entirely honorable way. And people work on his reputation gleefully, mm-hmm. savagely. I mean, yeah. they just lit him up.
0: Um, yeah, they immediately bought whatever salacious rumor was thrown out yeah. there, no matter, you know, they, they, virtually zero time looking into the backgrounds, whether or not there were any facts to the matter, and even sometimes openly ignoring refutations that came from yeah. people that would be in the know in the matter, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. And that's, a, you know, that's w- worse than 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 nearly as a savage engagement, that inflicts a larger harm against a greater good, the longer-term consequences of which are really, really grim, Mm -hmm. right? Now people are not getting credit for doing the honorable thing, and now some of them are going to say, as Charlie Rose did, well, why not? everybody's doing it or in this case yeah. i'm not going to get credit for good behavior in any case i'm going to be vilified that will be the the standing presumption is that i did something wrong so what's the point of not doing something wrong i mean that's what i hope the book might do to the extent that we build a kind of reputation economy and people work hard and they build up a uh, they build up a reputation they accumulate honor and they seem to be a kind of stand up person Um, uh, That to to make that happen, I think, is is a way to, uh, you know, to build a reputation economy really uh, is a way to start drawing honorable behavior out of people. But more to the point, and if this is all you do, just to create that shadow of a doubt where some media executive is about to prey upon an intern, right, and they think to themselves, oh, so maybe this could cost me. Right. 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 As it stands, people, the damage inflicted by this criticism in, say, a Me Me Too movement, some of those people were properly, you know, taken down and effectively destroyed as public personalities. But some people, you know, kind of seem to carry on. And and that's I yeah. think, well that's what Me Too did for, for some purposes, is set a new standard and just says, listen, we're coming for you. If you behave this way, we're coming for you. And we're we're punching your ticket as as it where you're no longer welcome in the public domain. So I think that's that's just the necessary work of a sensible society, I think.
0: Yeah. Well let's talk a little bit more about this uh, this honor economy and your thoughts about, you know, what would that look like you know how do we how do we put those pieces into play and maybe this is where you could talk a little bit about some of the 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 portions of the honor code and work them in right
1: yeah this is the book sort of came from a couple of sources but one of them is a neighbor who lives a couple of doors down his name is bob he's got a
0: a, (laughs) got a dog i I love i love bob yeah i love bob in the (laughs) book
1: i just go for a walk with him and um and we'd fall into conversation, and we'd pass the little league diamond, and he'd say, "Oh, I I helped build that." And we'd go by a school, and he'd say, "Oh no, I I helped you know I helped there." And we'd go by an old folks' home. Bob has been active there too. It's like Bob is everywhere. It's like I'm in an episode of a Frank Capra movie, right? It's a Wonderful Life, and Bob Bob is everywhere. But what's more remarkable about the fact that Bob is is quietly kind of active in his community is that it's totally I didn't know. And I don't know anybody who does know. He was getting no uh, props. He's getting no kind of credit for this behavior. And I thought, well, what if there were a system, a reputation economy, that meant that Bob did get credit for his behavior? As it is, we probably have three, four Bobs in the community of 3,000 people. And if we're getting more credit, maybe what if we had, you know, 40 or 50 uh, of Bobs A lot of boats would rise with that tide, so that was the idea: was to build a, is to persuade people um, to 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 honor those who honor them with these contributions.
0: Right. And not so much in the ways, you know, you make an example of, uh, you know, not, not so much the gala, the giant gala dinners of everybody pats each other on the back and it's all a big hoopla and, you know, everybody gets a, a, a participation trophy kind of thing. But yeah. you know, it used an example, which I thought was interesting because when I was reading it, I was, you know, my, again, my, my libertarian brain kind of goes to uh, anything revolving economic matters and, okay, economies. How would that work out? So I was thinking about it and use an example of, in your local regional uh, or your regional um, next door, uh, which is a popular, you know, my wife right. uses and I'm on there to argue, but argue with people by putting stop signs up. So, right. you know, the next door, but having a, a subcategory that might work where you have um, a board where you share people's good deeds or you uh, give people the credit that they deserve and how that could entice people to then in turn look to do more active good, look to give their neighbors credit for the active good that they've done, etc. So you know, what, how could you, how could we scale that larger? Or do you think that that's something where it has to remain on a very localized level for it to be effective?
1: I I think local is plenty, right? I mean, that's one of the things that technology um, uh, makes possible. Um, And, 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 uh, you know, we thought that social media was going to revolutionize the middle East and, and, it didn't. but maybe where it makes its real contribution is in making small communities feel and act more like communities. and, and uh, you know it's so effortless, as you say, next door is a simple simple act of of people communicating with one another to communicate a whole variety of things, but it's it's almost costless. It's almost frictionless, right from a from an economic point of view, the it it, it costs you almost nothing. It costs you nothing in terms of money and almost nothing in terms of time to put your ore in.
0: Um, Let me ask you a question about, um, so when we talk about putting that, you know, effort kind of cue to thought here, do you think that part of the problem with honor is that it is, when we talk about the application of time and reward, do you think that that's a big problem for people in that they view the uh, the upholding of honor or the emphasis and exercise and time it would take for honor to be non-beneficial in comparison to other things that would provide either more immediate reward or long-term reward? Right.
1: I just, I just have finished an, another book called The Return of the Artisan. And so I was studying artisan communities around the US, and it's really interesting to see the way they do it. Everybody gives of from their own table, their own little enterprise to the larger community, thoughtlessly and just generously. And they're not keeping track. Uh, uh, very, they're not keeping score. Um, and and but they also have a sense of their own domain, which they treat very much as their responsibility and their um, their world. And so they have this kind of duality. They have, I came to think of it as a dome above and a grid below. The dome above is everything you give freely and, and, and without expectation to the general community. And, and then you have your own little domain that you are responsible for. And, and, and um, so the idea was that uh, there's some special pleasure in giving generos- g- generously. And this idea that oh okay well listen we're now going to keep track of you know you 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 um, ha- helped uh, set up the farmers a, a-, a market uh, for two weekends last month so the community now owes you a free bushel of Brussels sprouts right that bean keeping ec- mm-hmm. be uh, a bookkeeping bean counting exercise is just agony right nobody wants nice. <laughs> to do that it's just dumb and it just so the idea the the happiest artisan just give freely, even as they reserve unto themselves a little domain that is absolutely their responsibility, and nobody else is welcome to stick their nose in. This is especially clear in in Kentucky, right? This is what I give to everybody. This is what I keep to myself. Let's be clear on the difference, and don't you dare confuse uh, the two. Mm -hmm. So um, anyhow, um, does that answer the question? (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I I I think it does in a way. I mean, I was thinking, you know, it's more because everything breaks down in 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 a lot of ways to you know time preference. So I think that does answer the question partially in that the time preference is what you keep versus what you give away is definitely, um, definitely comes to bear. But it's I guess to me it's like when we think about the economic aspect of it um again you know putting the time in and the time versus you you have to spend to build up your own honor to honor other people and whether or not that will have the benefit but i guess we're operating under the premise the premise that once you put in the time and the effort to build the honor up once the, once you get other people to buy into the concept everybody benefits you know again that that tide that raises all ships type of uh concept right. where we all yeah. will benefit our society will be better and there will be opportunities probably business opportunities that can result from it as you realize people have honor; they're trusted business associates. They'll do you right. They'll work hard, and right. you know, allocate money. Yeah,
1: yeah uh, that trust piece is a big piece of the commercial, uh, uh, obviously, um, and and for a very long time in in a- American circumstances, especially, you know, some you could depend upon somebody delivering on their word uh, because their honor depended upon it. Right. Um, and so, a case in which honor has. Working for centuries to 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 underwrite to underscore an economic transaction,
0: Mm -hmm. and it's one of the things too you talk about in the book. You know that so many times in society now we ignore that trust that has been built up over decades, whether it's a business or just with your neighbor. You know, right. where a guy you know kind of ties into the context, then kind of ties into a lot of things. You know, your neighbor who you've known for decades now. People we see them turn on each other because of the right. politicization, because of social media. Yeah. COVID had a lot to do with it, where people aren't seeing each other on the street because right. everybody's scared to walk around. Right? Um, yeah. So it's interesting. But one more thing I wanted to talk about, and then we have about about fifteen more minutes, so I want to let you talk more about the actual code. But I wanted to bring up one more thing that I had. Rough, roughly referenced earlier, which is the abdication of shame as a tool right. to encourage honor, and I, I'll I'll couch it in this way: in that I've seen shame. It was like an all-out assault on shame as a tool mm-hmm. for getting people to behave the right way. You're right. no longer allowed to shame somebody for being 700 pounds. You're no right. longer allowed to shame somebody. For, you know, being hammered on a Tuesday because that person is, well, they have a problem. They are an alcoholic. That person, well, they, you don't know what they're going through. You know, fat is beautiful. Do you think that shame needs to make a comeback (laughs) to help us all move forward with honor and get people back on the right track? Yeah. Yeah. No, I
1: think shame is definitely due a uh, a comeback, and we don't want to use it for all purposes. Some people truly are the victims of forces larger than themselves, things they can't oh, Of course, control. yeah, of course. No point in shaming them.
0: But, but it becomes a shield, you know, it, that, that whole pardon? I have a problem, the hate speech you know, for everything becomes a shield where, you know, words are violence, yeah. so you're not allowed to shame anybody type of thing. Absolutely. And yeah. there's a
1: therapeutic community that says, "Oh, we must always allow people to, you know, America's a place of second chances. It's our responsibility to be large and generous." And I think that's crap, actually. I, <laughs> I, uh, it's wrong to suggest that that, any, that that every kind of behavior is finally okay and that it has to be finally forgiven. I think about, think about a guy like Lance Armstrong, you know, corrupted his sport stole medals from, talk about stolen valor. He stole medals mm-hmm. from the people he competed against. He held up an example that potentially to the extent that American youth, uh, you know, ad- admire the guy, corrupted American youth, you know, it's a pretty disgraceful performance and a really shockingly arrogant one, right? When people mm-hmm. called him on it, he said, no, you know, I'm faultless. I am I I never did anything. Blamed others. Now, the comeback that I hear from when I use him as an example is this idea that, uh, well, everybody is doping in sports, right, uh, right? In, or at least in cycling. And I think, boy, that cannot, be the, that cannot be the answer because all you need, you know, are 10% of uh, a sport doping um, and, and winning as a result. And then you've got 100%, you know, get in, right? It's a slippery slope. Yeah a significant visible number of people are are corrupted and corrupting and dishonorable. And then everybody's obliged to either give up the sport or be dishonorable too. And that's a special order of corruption, right? Where you're not just corrupting, dishonoring yourself and your sport. But you're forcing other people to be dishonorable, too. There's a special place in hell. And there should be, for people like that, there should be a special place in, in our society for people dishonoring themselves. So there's no coming back, right? You do something that vile, you're, you're done. You're, you're done for. Um, um, and so that's where I think maybe shame deserves a comeback.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. With all right. Well, tell me real quick, uh, you know, it, uh, there's 10 of them. I don't know if you want to go through all 10 or if that's easy or difficult to do, but there's 10 uh, essential codes of, or uh, let's see, yeah, codes, the new honor code, 10 steps. I'm trying to think what exactly you call them here. I don't have my book right in front of me to, to flip to it. Right. 10 principles uh, to bring back honor. Can you tell us about those? To, to close Yeah, I don't
1: know that I can remember all of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, but, but, that's all right. but, that's all right. Well, I can, I can, here we go. I got, I do have the book. I just didn't want to waste time flipping through it. So yeah. there, there are, like I said, there are 10 of them. Um, yeah. I'll actually, I'll, I'll, I'll key on a couple, one, a couple that stood out to me. Maybe that's a little easier. Okay. So um, I did like the first one, which is honor, honor, you know, it basically bring you back the concept of it. So tell me right. a little bit, what you think about, or what do you mean by that?
1: Right. You know, for those people who say, oh, it's all about self-interest, Right. Or doing what you can get away with. Um, that Those are enough to deliver the moral behaviors we want to have in the community we live in. Um, right. I, th- I think we need to say, actually, we need some moral code. It doesn't have to be honor, but we need something over and above self-interest and um, uh, to, to, to draw out of people uh, good behavior, because the bad behavior <laughs> is accumulating and it's getting worse. And it's getting stabilized, so it's kind of you know, in the sand is is called for here, and and so let's honor, honor, honor some moral code that 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 helps helps stop the slide.
0: Yeah, uh, one of the uh, the ones that I liked as well. Well, actually, well, there was one that I found kind of interesting. Um, which is you have find your roles, find your rules. And this right. is one I meant to bring up a little bit earlier because you talk about roles in society and how that's something which you know, largely has been kind of kicked to the curve where nobody wants to seem like they fit into a distinct role. And it kind of ties into the Meghan Markle example. So you yep. say, find your roles and find your rules. And yep. you say some honor comes from being true to the roles we assume in life. So right. can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, this,
1: again, springs from a kind of libertarian impulse to do as much as I can with as little uh, as, as I, I need. Um, with the notion here that I didn't want to ask people to undergo a philosophical revelation or a new religious experience or any of that stuff. I just wanted a very slender um, moral compass. And in this case, it, it, the, the simplest, you know, everybody knows that they are identified in the social world by a role right? We're a father, we're a son, we're a spouse. Um, in, in, in my case, um, uh, an employer, an employee, um, a teacher, whatever you are, you've, you, you are identified by roles. And, and those roles still have in them, like this is vestigial stuff, right? It's still kicking around in us. We know what our roles are. What's interesting about roles, this is kind of a sociological tru- truism, is that role comes rules. Right. And-
0: oh, sorry. Say that. Say that again, real quick. Sorry, you you uh, digitized for a second there. What was the? You said it's a sociological truism. Then I missed the next line.
1: Right. It's a social a sociological truism that every role comes with rules. Mm. Right. So you can consult. So if you're an executive at CBS and you're working with an intern, you have pretty clear roles, and those roles have rules. Like, um, you know, do what you can to advance the education of the intern don't just force them to go get coffee, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, include them in proceedings so they get a, a chance to glimpse the profession they might someday join. There are a few set of rules. There are also injunctions like, don't sexually abuse the intern. That's also a rule, <laughs> right? You wouldn't think you'd have to tell people that, but apparently you do you have to say, don't sexually abuse the intern. Right. <laughs> so, so so there are a set of rules and they're just sitting there, right? And they're not being a obeyed very often because people just think, oh well, everybody's doing it, or maybe I can get away with this, or this doesn't really matter, or or the intern really loves me. I mean, God knows what order of delusion right drives these people. Right. But um but so I think that's a very simple again we're looking for like really small kind of moral intervention here. And that notion is okay, ask yourself what are your roles. Okay, ask yourself what are the rules attached to those roles.
0: Mm-hmm. What I thought was a little bit uh, a little bit of a foot of a was augment the honor of others. This is number six, right? I'm talking about you know, augmenting the honor of others, so you want to praise others, obviously. that's good. And I always wondered if that, like we're saying, is that going to come across as being too, you know, I'm praising you, but what are you going to get me later? And then, in a way, ties into the next one seven, which is do not diminish the honor of others because that makes it uh, again, a little bit tricky when that. In our society today, where that mode is like this attack dog, flamethrower mentality, I right. wonder if people can walk that fine line of having an argument without yeah. simply going scorched earth on people. Yeah, exactly. And Trying and, and, and bringing up, you know, tweets of their past that might have referenced something that now is politically taboo. <laughs> right. Yeah,
1: I think augmenting the honor of others is it's sometimes apparently it's hard for us to do that because we see life as a zero sum game. Right So we praise the neighbor down the street for having helped build the little League diamond, and we think, you know, to him I take from me. So yeah. I, I'm not him right he'll he'll be fine, <laughs> we think. Um, but I love this idea of just when people do something interesting or useful or, difficult or in any way admirable. I love the idea of singing their praises. It's just a great thing to do. And you can tell that it doesn't happen very often because when you do kind of sing somebody's praises uh, to their face or online or something, they're so grateful. But, but more to the point, they're so surprised because it's not happening very often. You think, wow, this. we live in a weird world when people are surprised to be praised for good behavior. But then yeah. the other thing here is, you know, as you were saying, the other law here is that d- don't diminish the honor of others. And that's almost the first order of that's almost the point of gossip. Right. People sitting around saying, well, you know, he blah, blah, blah,
0: she blah, 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 tearing yeah. down. He, others. he built that baseball diamond, but, you know, he beats his wife. Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> Finding some way to diminish just seems to me kind of tragic. I know it yeah. makes people feel better, but if, if cutting somebody down makes you feel better, what is wrong with you? I yeah. Mean, how how tragic is that, that yeah. um, diminishing, uh, diminishing somebody builds you up?
0: Well, it's, and it does seem to be the, the go-to modus operandi for so many people, um, you know, tear down to build up. It's, well, it's almost, you know, it's just a, a com- such a competitive Society, in so far as everybody clamoring for that attention and that that notoriety which is often undeserved, yeah. um but you talk about you know and I think this is a good one to wrap up on, um which is to be an honor architect so what you know what advice can you give people on becoming an honor architect in their own lives uh, in their professional lives in their social lives and everything else
1: right. I mean, we're an innovation nation, right? Next to Israel, um, we are committed to this idea of just constantly uh, uh, f- refusing to leave well enough alone, right? We just <laughs> rebuild things and we innovate and we uh, we experiment and come up with astonishing uh, accomplishments. Silicon Valley, the obvious example. So, so we're all constantly rearchitecting every part of American life. And I thought this is a huge opportunity for people. Uh, you think about a guy called Jack Dorsey, who turns Twitter from, you know, originally it was designed to allow am- people driving ambulances to communicate. Oh, <laughs> I
0: didn't know that. Okay.
1: <laughs> goofy little end that turns into a billion, billions of dollars of, of empire. Um, So, you know, I think, you know, somebody could make themselves the next Jack Dorsey by building a reputation economy for honor, for being the architect for some system. Uh, That would be a beautiful thing to see created. Um, But then for their own personal purposes to think about, you know, sit down and think about this as, as an innovation nation, sitting down and thinking about, well, how do we do how do I live and and how could I embrace honor and how would that work in my life if I did x or y or or z? um so I think you can be an architect in for personal purposes and for public ones mm-hmm.
0: well, I will say you know it's something where I've read about um you know, going back to that, it d- not tearing people down, not being so just resentful. That's something you'll hear a lot of people that are entrepreneurs, that are, um, business leaders, uh, leaders of men and women say that that's a, a real turning point in a lot of people's lives is mm-hmm. when they stopped being resentful and started being happy for other people's accomplishments, for celebrating other people, for who they are, uh, for being a better friend, a better father, a better better parent, um, a better spouse. And I think that really ties into a lot of that. Um, and it's something that people overlook, you know, they, they frankly overlook it.
1: And it feels to me like a piece of, I'm no expert, and correct me if I'm wrong, but my sense of some part of the mission to say, you know, I decide my own circumstances. Else, yeah. and I think resentment is a great way uh, to turn over your sense of self to somebody else. Right when you feel
0: Without injured
1: or judged or something, and you carry that resentment, you're allowing them to define who you are. And there's that moment of great liberation when you just say, "I don't care what they think about me. I'm choosing to decide who I am." That that I, I I'm the arbiter. But but more to the point, this is my entitlement. This is why I'm a libertarian. I decide for myself who I am.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fantastic way to uh, to wrap us up. I love it. So guys, the book again is called The New Honor Code, A Simple Plan for Raising Our Standards and Restoring Our Good Names from Grant McCracken, our guest today. Grant, thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed the conversation.
1: Brian, it was my pleasure. Great questions, a really uh, stimulating conversation. Thank you very much. Uh,
0: I do what I can. Reading the book always helps. That's my tip to other uh, other people out there. <laughs> All right. Thanks. And, uh, you know, if you have another book come out, let me know.
1: I've got one coming, so
0: I will let you know. All right. Beautiful. So there you go. That was Grant McCracken with the new honor code. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview. And like I said, I will be doing more solo episodes with just me ranting and raving. So don't you worry your pretty little heads about it. Those will be back at least, I promise at least two weeks in a row of ranting and raving Brian. But before we leave you, I want to tell you about a guy that I am very fond of, Tyler Colford, a.k.a. Crypto Man. He has an awesome song called Hashtag Free Ross, all about Ross Ulbricht, all the proceeds from this song. I'm going to play a quick snippet of before I take you out. But all of those proceeds go to Free Ross, for the Free Ross the Project, to helping him get out of jail for basically a victimless crime of having the, the audacity to run a server to allow people to interchange goods without government oversight and for things they happen to frown upon. So let's give him three life sentences, absolute madness. And also, you're going to be able to hear him on another track that he is actually uh, collaborating on called First World Problems. It is a track from Intrinsic, and that's going to be coming out very soon. I'll keep you posted on that, guys. All right, here's a little clip from Free Ross, and then I'll take you out full. Ross Albrecht is serving two consecutive life sentences plus 40 years for creating a means for individuals to anonymously make online exchanges using Bitcoin. His actions did not create victims. For nothing
1: more than creating a marketplace, the government locked him up and threw away
0: the keys. Let's get Ross pardoned and get victimless crimes off of the books. Hashtag free Ross. Free Ross. Free Ross. Free Ross. They're crazy. 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 crazy these are
1: perilous times when they ruin your lives over victimless crimes and they sever your ties from your business loved ones and family why new slave play but they barely pay you don't care about work ethic or major in the prison system the training criminals doesn't matter public or private differences minimal. Your victimless crimes are far for the books yeah and those who wrote the crimes are really the crooks decrease the population of the, the government slaves and so let those still in the system choose where to be caged hashtag Ross, guys thanks
0: for joining me on electric liberty land remember flagship show every monday with mark claire we've got finding freedom with john odermatt every friday where he's talking about finding your freedom from the criminal justice system or just economically or just in general and of course me on electric liberty land so guys from me brian mcwilliams from the lions of liberty and from electric liberty land always stay plugged into liberty